All right, everybody, welcome to Bethel Radio Hour. Uh, Tara is usually doing this part of it, but she is had to go back to work this evening. That's not uh, a good day it's for not somebody. A, not a good day for somebody. Let's pray for her and them. Uh, and if she is available anytime between now and 8 o'clock, she'll call in. Uh, she's passionate about these topics this evening. With that said, uh, we, we started a little early. Uh, I want to share with you, uh, some positive things that have been happening in respect to the Bethel Radio Hour. Uh, essentially, we call it, it's more of a motif than anything, that we have designed this to be like a radio program. Uh, one of the reasons for that is because uh, I watch and listen, I say watch, I listen to a lot of radio, uh, whether it be talk shows or sports shows or uh, preaching on 91.5, uh, 99.1 music and the such. I, I There is no comparison to the TV amount of time that I watch and the radio uh, amount of time that I listen to. Just none, no, it'd, be, it'd be 10 to 1, radio to TV. Uh, with that said, uh, in my job uh, and what I do with the vehicle and the such, I, I'm just more available uh, to the radio. So, I listen to a lot of talk shows, and, and as a result, I have always wanted to kind of uh, piggyback off of that uh, desire and thought uh, in a Bible study. So we had done about 15 years of the Journey series here on Wednesday evening. Uh, while the kids were in Awana, uh, our adults would come in here and do a Journey series study, and they're, they're tremendous. You can Google that, and you can see every Bible study that the Journey series does. They're very good. But after 15 years of it, we all kind of felt like I certainly did that we'd been there, done that. And uh, we had some, some very capable uh, Bible teachers and Bible thinkers sitting on the sidelines. So uh, what you have before you tonight is uh, Tom Nays and Gavin Hooks and Tara usually is doing what I'm doing right now. We call her, in air quotes, our producer. Uh, and then, of course, myself uh, being the pastor of the church. And we take a panel discussion approach uh, to these subjects. So, ever so often, uh, whether it be on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, or just out and about, I try to encourage you folks to let people know that they can listen to this on our BethelLondale.com uh, website. Uh, so, you go, if you go to BethelLondale.com, you'll see there a Bethel Radio Hour, and, and I don't know how many years of shows are on there, but there's tons. And so, you can get caught up, and you can also just uh, basically uh, take some time. If you're in your vehicle, uh, you can listen. So we got a letter, and I asked permission. I read this to the panel last week because it's very encouraging. Anytime someone hands me a letter, my first thought is, is it uh -oh. positive? Yeah, <laughs> did you sign it? But anyway, uh, so this man did, and uh, I want to read it to you because I asked his permission. He said, sure. He said, use it in any way you can. I'd like to take a few moments to tell all of you what the Bethel Radio Show has meant to me this week. First off, I have heard about it but never listened. So I asked Betty, that's his wife, so this is uh, Dale Carroll, how to find it. In all her wisdom, she said, I don't know, I'm always down in cubbies. So I did the unthinkable. You understand, Dale is my age at least, okay? So that's 53. I'd put him in between 53 and 60. You think that's fair? Yep. He said, I did the unthinkable. I found it myself. <laughs> quite, quite at random, my first pick dealt with fear. In my job, I'm in charge of a lot of people and machinery that result in millions in revenue for the company or loss. That said, it's a lot of stress, and with that, fear. Next again, at random, I heard distractions tied right in with the fear. While I say random, I believe I was led to these. At a time when I was mentally weary and burned out, these things were exactly what I needed to hear. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your obvious thought and preparation put into the show. Uh. <laughs> Maybe. No pressure. Uh, yeah, each comment is not just an off-the-cuff <clears throat> remark, but uh, biblically said and backed by Scripture, and we do work towards that. I have smiled and laughed at just saying, and would you rather. I also drove many miles with tears in my eyes as my heart was touched by so many things. One problem, though, I drive 40 to 50-plus hours a week from one job site to the next. Your show is one hour per week, just saying. Thank you so much, Dale Carroll. So I uh, just wanted to pass that along. Obviously, it was very encouraging 
uh, to us, and we praise God that he's using that. I, I do personally, even though we realize this isn't everyone's cup of tea or, or else the building would be packed type thing. I respect that, but I guarantee you that many of these topics that we deal with uh, on a weekly basis, you're going to come up face-to-face with. And so it, it, I, I do believe that it's a very good resource, and I would encourage you. Uh, it, it can be a good connection point with people that are not, uh, you know, they, they don't come to church. They're not associated with Bethel. It can be a very good connecting point. I, I can't tell you how many times I toss this to people, and they're always like, really? I, I can just get on the website and listen to it? Yes. Yeah. You can get on your smartphone, BethelLondale.com, go to the Bethel Radio Hour, and pick what show you want to listen to. It's good stuff. All right. So we're just going to dive in here. Uh, our uh, three topics, and I've got to find my uh, right notes here. These are heavy-hitting topics tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so we're, 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 you talk about the deep end of the pool. Um, this, and we've dealt with this before because we've been doing the Bethel Radio Hour for almost six years. Uh, but, but it certainly bears repeating. And, you know, we limit these to 15 to 20 minutes topics. But um, I, almost every day now, we, I, I, you know, you guys know this, I visit The Blaze, Fox News, and Drudge. I, I do that as a discipline. Uh, the Bible says that the men of Issachar and the folks at Berea were people who understood the times. I, I don't care what news site you avail yourself to, but in my humble opinion, you need to know what's going on. And so uh, almost every day, somebody has taken their life at their own hands. And obviously, to be quote-unquote newsworthy, if it's on one of those uh, you know, websites... It's going to be somebody that we all could potentially know. A celebrity. A celebrity yeah. of some sort. And so I, I've never heard of this guy, but the story was written as if I had. He was a uh, United Kingdom, uh, some kind of p- punk rocker. He was 47 years of age. Uh, he was the lead singer of Prodigy. Had never heard him. His claim to fame was the song Firestarter, or as he would say, Feistata. Uh, I listened so to did it. You, oh, you listen? Oh, yeah. I that was the '90s it. for me. It man. gave me hope for Tony, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have to meet my son to understand that. Firestarter sounds like your kind of music too. It, it does. It, it does. Uh, more like surprise Firestarter. Nine one one. So, uh, but this guy took his life, and, and one of the things that his friends said is that he had always said, "When I'm done, I'm done." Yeah. And, and uh, Brad's pulling it up there. So uh, about two, three weeks ago, I was blown away by a, another young lady's suicide because her response to her mother was uh, basically, I just don't find any value in my life any longer. And, and just, just the absolute lack of hope, lack of satisfaction. And, and guys, I'm going to tell you that you know, we're just going to start it off with this, and we'll just dive in. In my, And I'm not saying this is every person that commits suicide, this is their thing. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that one of the quickest roads to suicide is to look for self-fulfillment within your own life. That's one of the quickest. And I, I believe that's a devilish attack. I believe it's a worldly attack. I believe it's a fleshly attack. For us to allow our fulfillment to become our main goal. That is one of the quickest roads to suicide. So um, Tara, as she does, as our producer, she sends out these topics and she sends out questions. And one of the first questions was, what should we do as a church to reach out to people considering suicide or those affected by it? And before I toss that to the panel to discuss... I just looked it up, and essentially we are up on a suicide rate in the United States almost 33%. So a year ago, 10 out of every 100,000 people were committing suicide. Now it's 14. That's quite a jump in one year. So, guys, what would your answer to what should we do as a church to reach out to people considering suicide or those affected by it? It's so hard to get to know that that's happening. You right. know what I'm saying? It's so, so, you so don't, hard you don't to wear a T-shirt. That, I'm thinking that, about suicide. I'm thinking about yeah, ending it all. 
Um, certainly if somebody says something about it, that should put some alarm bells uh, going on in your head. And uh, our Sunday school class just finished a study here, shameless plug. Sh- shameless plug, um, uh, you beat me to it. This is the book, uh, Grace for the Afflicted, and it deals with mental illness and the struggle that uh, people that have mental illness have with suicide, thoughts of suicide, and taking action on that. And uh, preparing yourself by having a hotline number. Just have that as a tool in your wallet. So if you come across somebody that says that, that say, look, I'm I'm giving you this number, or I'm going to call this number depending on where they are. If they're sitting there with the means to take their own life in their hands, call the hotline number, get somebody involved uh, with that situation that's a professional. And as a church, we need to educate ourselves better about mental illness, and uh, suicide is one of those. I think the church's place is just what Pastor said here, supplying hope for them, giving them an understanding of God's love for them. So hope and love are just like medicine when you have a mental illness, and sometimes you need more doses of that medicine uh, than somebody would otherwise. And you got to remember that somebody that's struggling with something like this is going to need more than one dose, going to need multiple doses over time. And we all, none of us ever outgrows the need for that, for somebody to express appreciation, to see in us some some potential to help other people, to some potential to be productive in life and, and to have a meaningful life. So um, I think that's the church's uh, venue. That's That's where we come in. Mental health professionals should be involved in the crisis, but the church has a place there too. For the spiritual side of, of humanity, that's where we should come in and meet the need. Yeah, there, there's probably no wrong answer, you know, on what... what oh, can, there is. Well, yeah, uh, if it's... Oh, get over it. Yeah, if, come if on, it's look good, up. If it's You're negative, good. yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll roll dad. that back. <laughs> I miss. I miss. But uh, one of the things I think is know the people around you well enough. Amen. To know, you Amen. know, it's not too often. There's there's cases where people say I never saw it coming, but I would have to say ninety nine point nine percent. There was something that they can trace back to, mm-hmm. and if if you have a relationship with people, you don't have to be looking in their bedroom windows at night, you know. But if you have a relationship with people well enough, you're gonna know if something's going on. And, you know, I have friends here at the church that they're stand-up people, but you can just tell when something's going on. And it doesn't hurt when you say, hey, you okay? Because people that are in that mindset just want to talk. That's the first thing. They want to get it out. And a lot of times you're going to open up a door, be ready to talk, but that's what they need. You know, are you okay? No, I'm not. And you're like, here we go. Let's talk. Yeah. Let's pray. Oh, and I'm sorry. And you said, and show them the love of God. Well, for a lot of people, especially, they, they can't understand the own worth of their life. They're not, if, especially if they're not believers, they're not going to understand the love of God. So you are the love of God to them, you know. So that, that alone is when they think they got nobody if they have you and you're a believer. In turn, you're showing them. So uh, what I would add to that is that, uh, you know, being proactive. Uh, the, and I'm going to use a, a potentially bad example here, but... Um, I had a pastor uh, when I was youth director, and the joke about flu shots was, I'm not getting the flu shot, doggone it, because every time I get the flu shot, I get the flu. It works every time, you know. And all medical professionals always bristle at that because you can't get the flu. You know, I get it. I understand that. But I'm telling you, that was this guy's experience. This guy's experience was every time he went and got a flu shot, he got the flu. And so even though there is a medical explanation to that, you weren't going to overcome that barrier in his mind. So um, there are people that are convinced that talking about it's not going to solve anything, you know, so on. So in, what I'm trying to say, say is, is that those people that are within your sphere of influence, you may have to be a little dogged with them to get them to talk about it. You may have to push the envelope a, a little. Uh, in other words, you be proactive. You be the one that, that, that pushes lovingly the envelope. Um, I bought into flu vaccinations about six years ago because I go to hospitals, I go to sick people's homes and the such. Praise God, hallelujah, haven't had the flu six years. And so with those within my sphere of influence, my wife and my 16-year-old son, they get the flu shot also. 
because I can apply a little loving pressure there. And, and so those are people that, that I have responsibility to when I start to see those flags, when I start to see regression, when I start to see people pulling back, that's when it, it's on me to sit down and say, tell me what's going on. You got a list of some, some uh, flags here. This is that book uh, that I was talking about. Um, some, thing, some risk factors that they, they list. Uh, um, individuals living with mental illness are greater uh, risks. Approximately 90% of those who die by suicide are suffering from some psychiatric disorder as well. The abuse of alcohol, drugs, coupled with depression. So the loss of a family member recently. Uh, increased individuals' likelihood of suicide. Stressful life events like divorce, a death in the family, loss of a job, prolonged stressful circumstance. Uh, that you just can't get out, like a, the illness of a, a loved one that you're caring for. That's a prolonged, stressful circumstance. Um, harassment, bullying. We, we know in young, young people, that's a real deal. When you've been bullied by multiple people, um, taking your life seems to be the, the answer in your mind, seems like the right answer. Um, a serious chronic health problem, chronic pain, and a family history of suicide. Those are all risk factors. So those are things that you can use as a test paper or a litmus paper to, to check on somebody. Just just ask them if everything's going okay. I uh, know you've been under a strain for a while. Is there anything I can do for you? Is something I can do? Arrange for them to have a day off. Arrange for them to have a, um, a day in the park just doing nothing or reading. Uh, I think sometimes it's a huge encouragement to them so you be you provide the avenue of escape for them possibly. right Sh shoulder the load yeah hey shoulder go fishing with me right. or something like that help them know you care create a culture <clears throat> where talking about it is okay you, you know, know that's one of my answers to that question about what can a church do create a culture where talking about it is okay uh, I, i've tried to do this with quote unquote the sin of homosexuality when I was being raised in a Baptist uh, traditional church, you didn't talk about homosexuality. All you knew was, dead gum you, you better not. Right. That's all you knew. They put a circle around that, and they lifted that sin so high that the kids were like, dang, it must be pretty good, <laughs> you know, yeah. type thing. And so I've tried to go the opposite from the standpoint of, let's talk about it. Let's right. talk about it. Because the sin of homosexuality is the same as the sin of alcoholism. It's a sin. Amen. It's the same as the sin of fill in the blank. It, it's a sin. And it's overcome the same way through the Amen. blood of Christ. And so, you know, we teach here that suicide is a sin. It's a sin. Right. You, you're taking your life within your own hands. That, that is an act of blasphemy against God. Now, biblically, we don't teach that that sin will, quote, unquote, send you to hell any right. faster than the sin of alcoholism will, right. any faster than the sin of, you know, again, Lying, filling the blank. stealing, right. adultery. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Yeah, he didn't put a but if you do this. Yeah, right. unless you commit suicide, then right. sorry. You know, he didn't say that. And so even though I've had people tell me, brother, you can't tell people that because then they're going to think it's okay. no. If you think it's okay, you're not listening. <laughs> yeah, and if they're at that point, it's not going to matter what you say. No doubt, no, no doubt. And so it's extremely important that we teach biblically and, and allow God to do with that what he so chooses. I, you know, I would stop short of saying that everyone in here has faced the temptation of suicide as much as I do know, especially with the rate going up, it's probably something that most of us have considered at one point in time, or at the very least, been tempted to do. And that's an attack. The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and to destroy. I never will forget when Gary Lambright, at the first teen conference that we ever did, he told 300 kids, the devil wants you dead. Period. And he's going to do anything he can. He's a murderer from the start. He's a murderer oh, from the yeah. start. So, guys, I googled suicide hotline, and it came up. Imagine that. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. So there it is. But also, Focus on the Family has a suicide hotline. Crider. Crider has a suicide County. hotline. I mean, they're all over. They're all and over. they're not going to turn you away if no. you call 911. Right. No so doubt. You know. No doubt. And, and we won't turn you away either. Amen. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, you know, I've had a handful of occasions. You know, I, 
we we talked in that that class. Some some of the people that want to commit suicide, the ones that have done it are the ones that wanted to commit suicide. The ones that have attempted are reaching out. You know, because there's a, an infinite amount of ways to take your own life where you don't have to consult anybody before you do it. So in my experience, you know, I had an uncle call when I was about 11. Hey, can I talk to your mom, buddy? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I gave it to him. Well, he ate a whole bunch of pills. You know, he was trying to commit suicide, but he was reaching out. You know, he was hurting. We, I, I've had two gentlemen that I've worked with in the past. One, after he killed himself, everybody kind of looked at it like, yeah, we could see that. The other one was one of those guys we never saw that coming. Mm. You know, and he did it on Christmas Eve. He had two little kids. Mm. You know, and it's like, and that's... The other thing with, I was raised where if you committed suicide, you went to hell. And that scared me. Scared me straight, you know. I don't think that's a bad belief, you know, scared straight. But when, when you teach that it is thou shalt not murder, that also shows people the love of God. You know, and it might help the people that have lost loved ones that, you know, I'm sure some denominations come down on them and they think their loved ones are lost forever. You know, and it's like, no, so I guarantee you. Brother Steve was the one that we were talking about that one day, and I'd been going to this church for since 2000, and he, he said, no, you don't go to hell. I never heard that before, you know, and I was like, wow, you, you're right. Sin's a sin. Well, and so let, let, let's clear that up very quickly. What, what sends you to hell? There's only Separation one thing. from God. Separation yeah. from God, uh, uh, the refusal to accept Jesus Christ as the forgiveness for your sins. That's the only thing that sends you and I uh, to eternal punishment when we die is if we have refused the finished work of Christ on the cross. That, that's it. Uh, and and I, I believe that that's biblical. And I, I'm so thankful because Amen. I'm telling you, I can't keep my salvation. I, I've got no ability uh, outside of God to keep my salvation. Go ahead, Tom. That's why I made, made uh, the devil the murderer from the start because he convinced Adam and Eve to kill themselves spiritually. That's right. right. He was a murderer from the start. Well, right. yeah, and, and you say it's in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that says no temptation has come among you that is not common to men. Right. And where you say that, you know, I've never contemplated suicide, but I've stood, I used to build big, tall buildings. And it's, it's an odd thought to know you have the control to end your life. Right. And I've stood on seven, it's like, I could just jump off just right step now. Off. You know, now if that's contemplating suicide, I don't know. But I was, I've, I've told my salvation story of laying on a hood in Lake St. Clair when I was 16 right. years old. And I was at the end of my rope. I did not see the next day. And, but I cried out to God. You know, now if somebody was under influence of, you know, drugs or alcohol and had that gun at that moment, if they didn't have anything else to reach out to. But I reached out to God and said, I'm done. My life is over. What's there? Praise the Lord. He saved me on the hood of that truck. Amen. But, you know, it's, it's at that moment, I think, is the difference between people that have the hope and don't have hope. Well, one thing, too, let's say real quick, because we are out of time on this topic. Um, Christina wrote in, said over 1,300 veterans have committed suicide this year. This is another topic 20 all in a day. itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, poor choices sometimes leads to an unintended suicide. A young man uh, yesterday helping his friends move in Texas, you may have read about it, he's going to ride the rail down to the landing. And instead he fell off the rail and he hit the concrete and he died. So is it un unintentional oh, neglect unintentional. of your life? Right. Yeah. But, but, but a very poor choice, yeah. right. you know, and, and, and even though that was as bad as accidental as it gets, and we're not on any level blaming that young man, um, all the, the heroin overdoses that are going on and such of that nature, you know, for, for me, that, that's so frustrating because as parents and, and uncles and friends and such, we see these young people, it's not just young people, it's of all ages, they think that they're just escaping right. for a moment with this drug takes their life, yeah. you know. Uh, so anyway. Bad drug. Can I just add a, a little bit here, more here? I know we're running out of time. But this, this topic came up because you, you texted us all that article on the, the right. rate. Then Tara, I said, a had a family member that had just yeah. recently. And I was working on this material all at the same time. So it was kind of a goosebumps moment when all three of us were kind of, I guess, uh, cued on sure. this topic. Um, so so uh, this is a... When we had this going in our high school 10 years ago, we had five in a period of two right. weeks. Uh, some of these notes came from that, that time. So 
God stamped on us his likeness, and he's given us some capacities to be like him so that he can have a relationship with us. And because we have his likeness, we have intrinsic value. If you're at a low point in your life where you don't see that value, you have to stop and think about it because God has put in intrinsic value in your life because he's given you capacities to talk to him and potentials that he can awaken in you and give you a life that's more fulfilling and uh, adventurous than you could ever imagine. So <clears throat> I talk about these likenesses and, the, and others make us equipped for a relationship with him and those around us. This makes, us even more con this makes it even more convincing. By design, God is a party to every relationship. The same qualities that make us look like God are able to have and able to have a relationship with him also make us alike and capable of relationship with each other. Each of us, seeing our family, our family resemblance has a, sometimes takes a lot of skill. So see, me seeing God's image in, in Ben and Tom, sometimes you have to do, develop that skill. These, these are men of God, so it's not that hard, but in your neighbor, seeing the image of God and seeing the, the qualities of God in, in your neighbor will add to your motivation to help them not go through a valley. So maybe our, our behavior obscures our family resemblance sometimes. Five kids in our community, I'm, I'm referring back to the incident that started this, but much like the image stamped on a coin or a bill, the image determines the value. So if you have George Washington on the bill, how much is that worth? If you have Abraham Lincoln, five. five. Uh, Alexander Hamilton, a 10. So if God's image is stamped on us, think of the infinite value that's ours. We have intrinsic value by design. In addition, the craftsmanship with which we were made is unrivaled. The near infinite potential we have in life is impossible to quantify. With all these, it could be said we are of incredible worth by nature. But the ultimate assessment of value is determined by what someone will pay for a given object. So you can build the finest house, you can put the finest materials in it, all the latest technology in it, and you can put a price tag of $20 million on it. But what ultimately de determines the value of that home is what somebody pays for it. In our case, not, God not only made us with, incredible, with an incredible blueprint and unrivaled craftsmanship, he determined our worth ultimately because we are imperfect and he is perfect. He was willing to pay for our imperfections so we could be like him again and have a relationship with him again and ultimately share eternity with him. The price he paid wasn't 10% of heaven's treasure, it wasn't 20% or 50%. He laid down all the treasure of heaven to pay for us to have an eternal experience with him that we might have life and have it more abundantly. So the value of our life is by what somebody will pay for it. Man. God paid everything he had for our life. We have intrinsic value. He bank bankrupted heaven. Uh, Larry says, I never thought of suicide, but in boot camp, I thought about falling downstairs to get out of my third week. But then I overcame that with lots and lots of prayer. Amen. All right. So, guys, we need to go to topic two. But before we do that, we do a little thing called I'm Just Saying. This is our meager, humble attempt at some uh, humor. Sometimes, honestly, my, uh, my I'm Just Saying is, is not very humorous. So I'll let you guys go first. So I was working all day yesterday, late, and I get on, to the, on my phone and there's a debate going on about Canes versus Chick-fil-A. <laughs> there and wasn't it, a debate. It they got were, ugly. There was some convincing going on that the other two weren't. Persuading. Yeah, I, I right, still so. don't feel like I've lost, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was two to two. Tara is Chick-fil-A. I'm Chick-fil-A. Yeah, These even, guys are Canes. So I, we, I stopped by Canes and got props for us. So, this so, so Tom starts comparison, comparing Canes chicken tenders to Country Fresh's chicken tenders. I said they got a and hot taste. They got so, the same thing. So I said, <laughs> I said, all right, name calling. Anytime you go to name calling, that means you've got a weak argument. I still don't think it's name calling. To that yet? I know you don't because you don't get it. <laughs> it got <laughs> heated. Oh, man, I got fired We'd up. We love us some chicken. But anyway, uh, it, it was good fun. So uh, what we're going to do someday, I, I couldn't pull it off today, but someday we're going to bring Cane's and, and uh, Chick-fil-A. My only fear See, is the name. It's, it's not fair. It's not, it's not fair uh, because you're already bringing an inferior product with Chick-fil-A, and then you're going <laughs> to warm it up? It's really not a fair fight. But we're going to do it anyway, and you guys are going to help us to, to determine 
Uh, it, it could affect a lot, honestly, if you make the poor choice. <laughs> I was going to say I didn't go there, but when you said we were name calling, I said that's a typical liberal argument. You're <laughs> being bullied, <laughs> so you guys got to. You say I'm the victim. It, I'm it's being the bullied. liberals that name call, bro. <laughs> it's the liberals that name call. I'm glad you're admitting this and, and yeah. recognizing finally. So, so yeah, it was a, it was a good. Deb- so, I was crying on the highway. I was so for those that are doing the uh, podcast. <clears throat> such we've got brother Gavin brought in two cups of raising canes uh, so that we could advertise. Uh, now I'm, I'm going to tell you guys again. The, the, I love Chick Fil A, and Amen. the reason that came up, you may or may not have heard about the dean uh, for I forget the name of the college, a business college somewhere business in New York, college somewhere <laughs> in New York, and East they Coast. banned Chick Fil A of being on the ca- campus. They they stopped them from building a store on the campus. So because of their quote-unquote bigoted and and what Mm -hmm. racism views against LGBT folks. So uh, the dean, who is a devout Christian, I would assume, uh, quit. And she quit on grounds that if you're going to, uh, what would the word be? Discriminate and persecute Christians. I'm not going to be a part of that. Um, And they sent her the bullet points that they wanted her to give as her reasons, of yeah. course, which none of them included uh, the real reason, and, yeah. but she right. she stuck to her guns uh, and, and took a stand. Well, so I sent that to the folks, and, and so obviously Chick-fil-A got a lot of praising. and, and Tom I'm said, a fan of the Kathy family. Oh, no I doubt. Yeah. Huge fan. No doubt. Uh, go ahead, Tom. But Tara did start the... She did. She lit the firecracker. shot... <laughs> The shot across the bow <laughs> about raising cane. So anyway, um, all right. Uh, so I, I had the, a yeah, I had a good one. I, so I've got four pitchers, and hopefully the one with the glasses is the last one. But I'm just saying. So we're <laughs> buying costumes for the Easter walk, and my kids love it. So we got some stuff. There's us. So there's the, <laughs> they they like that. They like that one. Here's that's awesome. This one. But before you do the next picture, I said now if the Easter walk is a flop. We have some awesome professional wrestling costumes. So there we go. It's the same thing. It's it, like you could go to WWF same. right now it's with that costume. Thing. Yeah, so we have lively times at the our chic. house. So, yeah. so Randy uh, said, bad-mouthing Chick-fil-A, question mark. I'm going to have to move my membership. Yeah. I hear that friendship likes bad chicken, too. You know, so. No. All right. Uh, so, again, m- mine's serious. Mine's more political. Uh, and, and this really goes along with the whole suicide thing. I'm just saying the devaluing of life, which I'm referring to the three states that have attacked uh, pro-life uh, situations, they have essentially made abortion uh, just accessible throughout the entire nine months of pregnancy and even after the child comes out of the womb. If the mother wants to end the life, they can. I don't know how that's not murder. I don't know how that's not covered in the statutes of those states. So I'm just saying the devaluing of life has led to multiple consequences, suicide being just one, abortion, of course, being the worst. If you can choose to take someone else's life, you can certainly take your own. So that's my I'm just saying. Uh, And so uh, if you've got an I'm just saying, certainly send it in, and we will read it. Topic number two is uh, Jesus cleanses the temple. Now, this is our running uh, theme uh, that we're going through the uh, steps of life of Jesus. Uh, everything that Jesus did, sooner or later, we're going to cover uh, in this time frame uh, at our uh, Bethel Radio Hour. So if you've got uh, your Bible, I'll find it here. Uh, John chapter 2, verse 12. John chapter 2, verse 12. Jesus cleanses the temple. Scripture says this. After this, he went down to Capernaum. He and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and the changers of money setting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? In other words, give us a reason why you're doing this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. 
Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. All right. So to this, uh, Tara sent in, uh, set the scene. So why was Jesus there? Time of the Passover. Right. And it's uh, interesting that right after the marriage miracle, this is the next event in Jesus' ministry beginning here. Right, no doubt. The temple. Uh, and, and again, when, when you step back and you look at Jesus' life chronolog- chronologically, you can see that, that all, all of this was by design. All of this was put as building blocks, you know, to, to, to explain who He is and what He is. Because, yes, Jesus is the Savior of the world. But certainly not foremost, but first, Jesus is a Jew. And Jesus is a child of God. And Jesus is in the nation that has been determined by God to be His chosen people. And, of course, we're still in the Old Testament frame. Jesus hasn't died yet, so we're still completely under the Old Testament system. So one thing that we want to make sure everybody understands, and I'm going to tell you, I lived a long time as a Baptist son, preacher's son, didn't have a clue as to what the Passover was. Didn't understand it. And so this goes all the way back to their time as a nation under Egypt's thumb. And so Moses has been sent as a deliverer. They have been 400 years in bondage. And of course, that's a picture of sin, the lost man. And Moses comes as a picture of Christ, and he's going to deliver them. And one of the plagues, the last one, that God uses to convince Pharaoh to let him go was what became the Passover, which was the death angel coming. And God told Moses, and they even told the Egyptians, anybody that has the blood of an unblemished lamb on the doorpost of your house, the death angel will pass over. You will not be harmed. Any house that does not have the blood of the lamb over that doorpost, every firstborn, cows, donkeys, sheep, people, every firstborn in that household will die. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, including it, Pharaoh's son. Including and that's Pharaoh's what broke son. Him. You yeah. better believe. You better believe it. And, and so after that event, of course, which led to the Exodus, um, God asked them to practice the Passover every year to remember what God did to deliver them. It was, in air quotes, their salvation. And of course, it was a picture of what Jesus would do for all of us. So, Anything you guys want to add to that? And the the atmosphere in the temple at that point had to be bustling. There had to be probably the most people in the temple during this period of time of any other time of the year. Tara on the phone call when she was calling me to tell me that she couldn't be here tonight, she, she, she basically told me everything she's wanted to tell you guys tonight. It was like Disney World. It was their Disney right. World. You know, you, you went to the temple to, to see all of these unbe- things you wouldn't see anywhere else. Uh, the, the massive amounts of animals to be sacrificed. Literally, blood would flow through the streets. And it was an accepted thing. It, it really, it, it, you talk about a, a picture uh, of redemption. Um, you know, how much blood would it take the to, price forgive, to be paid? Yeah, to forgive the sins of the whole world. We have, what, 7 billion people right now on the planet? And that's just for this 100-year span time of type thing. How much blood would it take to remit all of those sins? And, of course, you know, with Christ, it's not the amount. It's the purity, you know, uh, type deal. But, of course, he he emptied himself, you know, for us uh, through that crucifixion scene. Uh, But but they so they would come to do the Passover. And since they were there for the Passover, it was customary for them to sacrifice for their family, to bring an unblemished lamb, an unblemished goat, whatever the case may be. And so therein is the problem. Why was there money changers here? So my understanding is that people would come from all over the known world. 
the proselytes, people that wanted to be a Jew. Tough to carry a lamb with you right, right. 500 miles or 300 miles or 100 miles. And if you were from another country, you would have a different currency. You had to pay the in, the temple, in the temple currency. And buy. Sometimes they would have lambs or doves or whatever right. they're for sale that you, you could buy. So it turned into a marketplace rather than right. a place of worship. And, and, there was, and that's exactly right. And, and, and so, you know, when you go to a foreign country, if you want to uh, change, you have to go. They won't call them this anymore, but you have to go to a money changer. Right. And, and they give you their currency and you give them your currency and whatever the exchange is, that's what you get. And so the same thing was going on here. But, but, but right here, though, something that I, I didn't know this till I preached through Matthew, uh, something very nefarious was going on. Because even though a lot of folks did not, quote-unquote, mess with bringing a sacrifice, a lot did. But there was a, the game was rigged. And a, uh, the agreement was between the people that raised uh, a lot of these animals for this very thing and the priest. Because the priest had to accept your sacrifice. The priest had to say, this is good or no. Kosher. And, and almost 90% or better, he would turn them down. And when he would turn them down, then they ha- if they wanted to sacrifice for their family that year, they had to go buy one that had been brought from the people that bring you know, animals to sell. Well, a lot of times they were, they were not as good as what they had brought, but because the priest condemned it, you had to buy it, and you had to buy it at exorbitant prices. Right. It, it was a scheme. It was a, and, and I'm not saying that just what you said in and itself wasn't a reason for Jesus to be upset. But, but it just went so far beyond that as well. It, it was a racket. People stepping in between God and his people. Right. That, that's exactly right. And so uh, Jesus steps into that, and he sees exactly what's going on, uh, and, and, he, and he runs them out. You know, well, One thing that Tara asked that I think is pretty interesting, who's this guy? Right. And why did these people pay? Why did the temple guard not step in and say, hey, dude, well, I that, don't know why you're having a fit, but get out of here. That, that's one of I've got an answer to that. If, could it be a miracle that he is the Messiah? The one thing I had read on it is it was the, that the Jews had the shekel and they for any religious ceremony for them, they had to buy with shekels. They couldn't buy with Roman currency. Correct. So that was one. It was part, a temple currency. Right. And um, oh, where was I going with that also? Um yeah, I lost my train of mind, but that was one. Oh, and then where they set up for this, uh, I was looking at in the place of the temple, they set up in the areas that were originally set up for prayer. So, you know, they've just totally decimated the whole point of the temple because now the prayer areas are market areas. Sure. So that would have been another reason he just would have wanted to clear house. Think about this. Who is Jesus? He's who they're sacrificing to. He is the sacrifice. He is the sa- I mean, yeah. you're, you're both right. Right. You're both right. He is who they're sacrificing to, and he is the Lamb of God. And he is basically, he's, he's saying no. <laughs> no. <clears throat> Everything you're doing is not acceptable. Because, for one, like you say, you people are stepping in front. You're, 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 you're blocking my people from getting to God by rejecting an acceptable sacrifice just so you can make a dime on this other sacrifice. And you are offering up inferior sacrifices just to make money. And, and so the sacrifice was rejecting the sacrifices, sacrifices that were being given there. And so he ran them out. He, he started over. And, and, and he says, the zeal for my house has ate me up. You know, and, and, you know, you think about that. That was an expression, what, 20 years ago? I made up. Started in the Bible. <laughs> I did think, though, it's tongue-in-cheek, but Jesus, in essence, was driving out the capitalists in the temple. <laughs> okay, no, no, I, I've already used that phrase uh, talking to Tara, but I would qualify that. The unholy capitalist. True. The, the greedy capitalist. B- because, you know, any, any system c- can get into, uh, you know, I, I like that word tonight, nefarious. You know, it can, right. can get into a nefarious Element Any very, very economic anything, system. Anything. Yeah. You know, if socialism was run by Christians, was run by Christians it would be okay. Real right. Christians. Re- real, right, right. But, it, but it's not. It's ran by rich people that want to be 
the, ki the kings, they want to be richer, <laughs> you know. And so they're willing to determine what you can make and what you can't make, but they right. won't let anybody make that decision for them. Right. Al Gore, he wants you to save the planet while he's going around on his private jet and his, how big a house 18, is he got? 18,000 square foot. 18,000 square foot. But, but bless his heart, he buys the carbon credits, you see. <laughs> So, it, no, I, so it was tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, no yeah. doubt. No doubt. And so anyway, uh, boy, we digressed quickly, didn't we? Uh, Rabbit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, as long as you shoot it, it's okay. So anything, guys, you want to add to this before uh, we go well, to... Well, that mine was, could it be a miracle or a sign that he was the Messiah? And that was the exact that, um, given the fact that the actions of Jesus prompted no intervention, the Roman guard didn't step in, um, you know, they just let him do that. So it wasn't more of an act of aggression from Jesus. A lot of people think that was him flexing his muscles and whipping people out. No, it was more a fulfillment of prophecy. And I think there was bigger players at hand, and that's why no one stepped in. If we walked into, tried to walk into the White House and start clearing, we'd be locked oh, up. be in jail. And at that time, if anybody but Jesus at that time would have done that, the Roman guards would have strung him up right away. But this action prompted the next steps for him. It gave them the fodder to start the his trial against too him. too may have paved the way for him. So people seeing his miracles and then him coming into the temple with an authority that can't be questioned. I mean, there's just a in essence, presence about somebody. In that, essence, just like what we talked last week about the marriage, he became the master of that banquet. <laughs> By him clearing out the temple, he became the master of the temple. Sure. He, he proved again, look, it's me. It's nobody else. You know, so he just made himself number one. So we probably uh, need to, you know, pick up this topic uh, at another time. But, you know, Tara had the question of, so why, why aren't we filled with righteous indignation when someone does something that is blatantly anti-Christian? You know, they take the Lord's name in vain or they, they, you know, blast Christianity or whatever the case may be. And, and I think there's a fine line there. Um, I, I do not have a problem with someone, well, I preach it almost Sunday in, Sunday out, for us to take a loving stand on the truth. But, you know, one person put it this way, the reason you and I probably do not need to try righteous indignation is because Jesus is the only one that's yeah. righteous, righteous enough to do that without sin. Right. You know, because here's here's the thing. I mean, he made a cord of nine, you know, he made a cat of nine tails, basically, and scourged these people. He didn't hurt them physically, but he had, obviously, a, a, a you could say, a, a showing of an act of violence, yet he did it without sin because Jesus is sinless. And so, man, that's a fine line that I don't know that you and I are no. capable to And, and to that's walk. where I comment. It's such a slippery slope. And when I was a young, uh, I would say I'm not a mature Christian, but a lot uh, immature Christian, when people would say stuff like that, I would get angry and I'd be ready to fight. And you see some of these videos, these peaceful protests, that the people have the good signs, but they get poked a little too hard and it goes to blows. And then your whole message of love, peace, tolerance is, is gone. So we do such a disservice. Yeah, it's very challenging to lovingly correct somebody or take that challenge. Truth is the, the best defense against a, an approach, an assault on Christianity. Truth and love is the best response. Amen. All right, guys. Well, we're going to go to uh, our next segment, which is uh, Would You Rather. Do you guys got a Would You Rather? I got nothing. You got nothing? Got nothing. Man, you're kind of letting this us down here. This show's so much better here. What? She yeah. needs to call uh, me. <laughs> Brad, I'm trying to send you something. You'll get it here in a second. Uh, something that Larry sent us that I think is very interesting and good. So, Go ahead. If I'm okay to do the things I've never seen, I, I think like that more. But Go ahead. I, I, don't, I don't have anything now, but <laughs> my mind doesn't work with that. Would you rather? It just doesn't go that way. All right, I've, I've got one, but you got one time? No, I don't. Oh. See, I'm neither. All right, so would you rather? Uh, I don't know why I like these so much, and most of them revolve around food. Uh, so Randy, text in what you'd rather do here. Would you rather eat your enemy's pick for you once a year? Once a year, they're going to pick a food for you. It's not going to be poison, but it's somebody that, that doesn't really care for you, and you've got to eat it. Would you rather do that or never eat your favorite foods again? Mm, that's a tough one. Oh, I'd eat what they picked out for me. You'd eat what they picked yeah. out for you? Yeah, and, and once think, a year. think about this. 
us three here that we know of don't have a lot of enemies and, and don't have people. <laughs> Randy just See, my wife <laughs> besides thinks. Randy and now that Chick Fil A's <laughs> out, but. Uh, Trump would absolutely take not eating his favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> and better. And, yeah, and, better and better, yeah, and better. Right. Uh, so anyway, did you get that, Brad? All right, just put it up there whenever you get it. it it'll, I think, make sense. Uh, it's kind of a, a current event that happened. Um, in a church, ashes, firefighters find unexpected survivals, Bibles that were untouched by the flame. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And there was just about two weeks ago a man's truck that burned to the ground and his Bible was on the seat. And they say it did not burn up. And, that's and you know, and a couple, you know, and I didn't say much because a lot of people, oh. Yeah, sure. And then, but then this happened and that did catch my eye. I'm like, that's pretty neat. Whatever, whatever Good it stuff. means, it's still yeah. very neat. All right. So, uh, topic number three um, what was the disciples' response at this event? Uh, is, is that right? Is that what we got for topic three? Was it? At the event of the purging of the temple? Yep. Okay. Who will be first? So many believed on him for the miracles that were going on around this. I, I don't, I, you, you kind of intermix the uh, miracles with the purge in the temple, and it's a pretty potent message. You know, if you think about what the temple is today, that. Vigilance for the temple ought to be something that we, you know, we, we take internally. So we're the temple of God now. We right. ought to take that purging of the, the temple seriously um, as a discipline, as a follower of Christ. We ought to, with zeal, regularly purge right. the temple. Well, and so let, let's talk about that for a minute. <clears throat> this whole thing of, um, you know, he answered when they, when they asked him, <clears throat> give us a sign. What, why are you doing this? Explain this to us. And, and his answer was, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. And, and you know, one thing that, that Jesus uh, expounds on, expounds on later uh, is that he would speak in riddles, and he would speak in parables. And even though he was not trying to confuse anyone, he was trying to, to some level, hide the bare-bone truth because him and God had a timetable that he wanted to fit. And if the, the scribes and Pharisees, had they figured this out earlier, he wouldn't right. have made three and a half years, you know, right. type thing. And there was a reason that he wanted to go this length of time. There was, if you will, he had a checklist. And so he, he spoke in riddles. And this was one of those riddles, you know. They believed that he was talking about the literal physical temple. Right. And, of course, it had been lost on them for hundreds of years, that the tabernacle in Moses' day, and now the temple was just a symbol. Right. It was not ever meant to become what it had become. It was never meant to become an idol and, and something that, that they actually, they saw the temple as a part of salvation, you know, and it was just to point to Christ coming because, you know, the temple is where the sacrifice happened. Well, so Christ's temple, his body, was where the sacrifice was going to happen. Well, and is that not, correct me if I'm wrong, but the big aha moment was in the upper room at the Last Supper. Sure. When Jesus was saying what's happening, and Peter said, oh, now you are not using figurative, now you are using figurative speech, and we understand you. Now we know that you are God. Right. And, and so, yeah, so leading up to everything, like you said, was a riddle, and it wasn't until the upper room discourse is when they finally got it. Because he spoke to him in a way that he hadn't before. He laid it out very plainly. Now, so in, in verse 22, it says, When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them, that, you know, I will raise this temple up in three days. So that, that was the aha moment also, you know, that, okay, he, he said he would do this. He said he would die, and in three days he would raise it up. And, and you know, remember uh, what Winston Churchill says, that when you... Uh, die and you raise yourself from the dead, you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. But then, look at verse 23, um, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And so the ranks swelled. What do you think would happen here at Bethel if we went to a lake for a baptism, 
And one of our kids swam out to the middle, as kids are wont to do, and started to drown. And Brother Ben walked across the lake and picked that kid up. You think attendance would increase? You better believe it. What do you think if the next Sunday, every person that's on that list for cancer lines up, and I lay my hands on them, I ask God to heal them, and the cancer's gone. Attendance would swell. And that's not a bad thing, and it's not a wrong thing, but that's what was happening here. People were coming because they were having needs met, and some of them were coming to see the show. You know, and that's not wrong. It's not. But there was a level, if you will, of committedness that was attached to the show element. And Jesus knew that. And later in his, um, in his life, later in this ministry, he makes the statement, unless you can eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have none of me. And the scripture says, and of course, we'll get to that in this. So, they, so what? Yeah, yeah. many, because they, again, they thought he was being literal, but yeah. he was being figurative. You know, you, you got to go all in for me, you know, is what he was saying. And so uh, I think that the quote-unquote true disciples, all this did was, okay, this, here's, here's another check mark. This guy is the guy. He's the son of God. Someone else? And I can see how easily he's talking about what he, what's in men, and he knew what was in men and what they're capable of. They're seeing his deity and his infinite power and ready to apply it to their problem. And their primary problem, I can see, is getting Roman oppression off of them. And I'm sure that's right where the Jews want to go because they were promised a Messiah that would deliver them, oh, yeah. deliver them from worldly They were thinking a warrior, and, a conqueror was coming. Man, this guy's the dude. He can do, well, do well, anything. Yeah, in, in, I mean, yeah, I think about that. Here you are, the goal of your life is to be out from under the Roman scourge. That's your goal in life. And as a Peter and as an Andrew, a Philip, you're willing to give your life for that. You've got it set in your heart and mind, someday soon, I'm going to take a sword and I'm going to fight against Roman oppression. And oh, by the way, sooner or later, a Messiah is going to come. And when he comes... He's going to start everything over, and we're going to be the nation that we've always been meant to be. So here this guy comes, and he can raise people from the dead. He can walk on the water. He, he can, can clear control. a temple out. He can clear a temple out. I mean, this With is it. With nobody challenging him. Nobody challenging him. And, and you know, I've, I've said this in the Easter walk. Uh, when we're at that Hosanna spot, all the palm, palm mm-hmm. branches, think about fighting for a general that can raise you from the dead after you've died. You'd oh, fight right. with abandon. Yeah. You, you'd forget the helmet. You don't need it. <laughs> because if you get your head cut off, he'll put it back on. Yeah. You'd fight with abandon. And, and think about the demoralizing thing that that would do to the enemy. Mm-hmm. I, we can't kill him because this guy just goes and heals them all. Right. <laughs> so anyway, good stuff. Amen. Uh, Larry says, got to get to it here, uh, he's wanting faith to grow not what they see as being the reason for their Amen. belief. Very good. I don't know why my... Amen. And, and the same with us. How many, how many times do we get disappointed in Jesus because our immediate problem was not resolved with his power? We know he's got the power. We know he's got the potential to do it. And I, I think a lot of discouragement comes from that. Jesus isn't applying his omnipotence to my problem when, the, when Jesus is ultimate objective is not for us to have all of our problems solved, but to us to be, look more like Him. Amen. Amen. That, and, and, you know, we're going to be getting to all these things uh, sooner or later because all these things are, are, are addressed throughout the life of Christ, but a- amen to that. And what a weird caveat I just thought about. The Bible says that Judas, after he betrayed him, committed suicide. Yeah. You know, so we're talking about suicide. You think of somebody that has abandoned all hope. Right. You know, here that's... Somebody was disappointed with Jesus' power not being applied to his agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, that's so powerful because we're, we're like that too. We want God to come in and fix our immediate situation. But God has something so much bigger than the immediate issue. He's got your confirmation to him. That, that, that's the overarching... It's a long, maybe go, painful a, problem. It's a long, 
painful process. That's exactly right. But it's for our betterment. Amen. It's, and, and so sometimes the struggles and the difficulties that we go through, it's for our good. It's absolutely for our good. Uh, so, guys, uh, we love you. We thank you so much for coming tonight. Uh, please be faithful to the Lord's house. If you've got any questions, uh, text them in. If you've got any topics, uh, text them in. And uh, if I could, are yeah. we wrapping up? Yeah. Um, we have new Bethel. Um, for Radio Land, you can come to church and get them. We got new Bethel yard signs. There's over 100 of them back there. Grab one on your way out. They got little metal stakes. Um, we are going to have practice this Sunday. Show up at 5 o'clock. If you don't have a uniform yet, we'll get you one. And we're still looking for two players. We're looking for a Judas, and we're looking for a man in stocks. And there's your stock right there. It'd be a great part. So we have two parts we'd like to fill very large and small. Stocks. Large and small. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and you can poke your head in and out. They're not too, you know, so big. So, so. the practice starts at 5:30, but if you need a costume, get yeah, here at five. Show up at five. Right, yes. And then church starts at 6:30. Uh, you got something? I got a late. Would you rather? Let's hear it. Would you rather eat at McDonald's or Taco Bell for the rest of your life? Oh, McDonald's. That's it. Oh, come on. <laughs> what? Seriously? Yeah. McDonald's yeah. for the... I feel like I've already done that. With three kids? I've already done that. Taco Bell, you got one choice. Tacos. Tacos. Che different form of Tom, a taco. That, you got chicken tenders I, I had no idea that your discipleship needs were so far beyond. <laughs> you never do me. It's like we're strangers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know you. Who, Who are you? <laughs> You've got McDonald's Mexican pizza. Donut sticks now. <laughs> You've got Mexican pizza. Chalupa. I can live on Chalupa. Nachos. They don't sell Nachos. coffee. They don't. Well, we start, like, the ended on shop. a stinker tonight, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. They don't have no ice cream. Ended on a stinker, he says. Uh, I get it. I get uh, it. All right. God bless you guys. Thanks, everybody.